Hi, I'm Fatima Qureshi, the Communications Director at Fuji Org, and this is Justice On Air. In this show, we bring you firsthand interviews and discussions with prominent and passionate people where we deep dive into current issues which affect us all. We speak with entrepreneurs and thought leaders on how they're raising awareness and driving real change in their communities and around the world. Now, a lot has happened since we released our last episode with Nicole David, a legendary squash player, and we discuss community-driven efforts with the Malaysian youth. To recap, in our last episode, we sat down with the racket sports superstar Nicole David and talked youth empowerment through sports in Malaysia. But in our current unprecedented state of the world, with the protracted pandemic, we want to bring our conversation down to the health and well-being of communities, something we have taken for granted, and also how frontline workers are making that happen. Fuji speaks to Dr. Ahmed Yusuf, a founding member of Emaret, or Islamic Medical Association of Malaysia, and we had a conversation just about a month ago about how they are working on the front lines to help out communities that have been detrimentally affected by the coronavirus. But I should warn you, the stats are not really up to date because our chat happened a month ago. But as of now, on their website, you can scope out live data of coronavirus cases and how much they've raised to distribute essential supplies to healthcare workers and vulnerable groups across the country. Now, on to our chat. So, Imam is actually consists of health professionals, uh, Muslim health professionals that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gather uh, to discuss and to do charity work. Um, So, Imarat is the brand name that we give for the relief team that um, moving all this relief effort under this NGO. Okay. Actually uh, consists of uh, all sorts of health professionals. Uh, we have pharmacists, we have dentists, we have uh, nurses, uh, even medical students or pharmacy students that uh, can become our member. Uh, but for the relief effort, uh, the volunteers are from various sort of background. So they're not all healthcare professionals? Oh yes, not all healthcare professionals because it depends on the need of the relief effort itself. Uh, of course, we are focusing on the medical relief as our main uh, um, focus uh, whenever we do, uh, we respond to any sort of crisis um, because mm-hmm. we have a pool of doctors, uh, pharmacists, dentists. Uh, especially, but in terms of movement of uh, relief effort, we need logistician, we need someone that can uh, set up our communication uh, base, we need someone that um, can be our uh, security person, we need general volunteers to do a lot of things. Uh, Yes, medical relief is our main effort, uh, our main focus, but in terms of pool of volunteers and the need, um, everyone can be part of us. And what exactly is your role in this organization, at least over the last two months with these uh, donation drives going on? All right. uh, In the NGO, I'm the uh, general treasurer. uh, But uh, in the relief effort, I'm usually handling the logistics. uh, Other than the finance, I'm handling the logistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any kind of relief effort. So, for example, in the past two months, 
uh, in this uh, COVID-19 crisis uh, in all, all over the world. Uh, particularly in Malaysia, uh, Imaret is uh, helping the health institutions uh, and health facilities to supply or to match the need for the PPEs, personal protective equipments. So uh, my role would be to uh, arrange the distributions and also to arrange the transporters. Uh, I myself will uh, do some of the distributions, but we have uh, a pool of maybe more than uh, 10 transporters to do distribution all over Malaysia. And in your live reporting on Emirates website, it says that you've raised over 2 million ringgits. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, almost 3 million exactly as, yeah. as of today. And to over 10 states as well. I mean, that's like a huge amount knowing that, you know, a lot of people would be involved in trying to contribute to your initiative. I mean, was this Emirates key outcome in the first place or have you surpassed your objectives? For the any kind of relief effort, we keep our objectives open uh, because we never know when the crisis will end. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of COVID-19 per se, uh, I think we have surpassed the initial objective for the acute phase because uh, when we started this effort, we expect public donations and corporate funders. Uh, usually, public donation will be the main uh, income for this kind of relief effort. But uh, along the way, we have uh, key figures in social media that are willing to help us to spearhead the fundraising through their platform. For example, we have uh, Vivi Yusuf from uh, Fashion Valley. Right. We have a yeah, few others, uh, artists. And then we have, uh, for example, uh, MDAC and few other GLCs company that mm-hmm. come to us and said, we want to help but we don't know how to get the PPEs. We don't know where to distribute, but we can use our platform to get money for you. Hmm. So, you know, just on that note, just to take a step back a little bit, can you explain the critical importance of PPEs and medical supplies for frontline workers in Malaysia right now? Our health system is actually caught by surprise. Uh, It is because the disease itself is a new kind of disease. Uh, yeah. At the beginning of the, 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 the at, at the early of the year, uh, this year, uh, nobody actually can confirm how is the transmission of this disease. So at that point, we need to prepare the highest level of protection for our frontliners. Um, and then along the way, we already get more information from the countries that already gone through this earlier than us. Mm-hmm. then we already can streamline what are the type of PPEs. Now, when we already passed the first few weeks, I can say first few weeks, that the PPEs has dropped tremendously, the stock of PPEs has dropped tremendously in our country itself, in our healthcare system. If you want to imagine how, why the PPEs are uh, really needed, uh, every time the front or single frontliner wears the PPE. It's not mm. for the whole day or for two days. It's not like your clothes or your scrubs that you can wash and reuse. It is a single-use protective clothing. So once you wear it for a few hours, then you need to change and change for the new one. You need to throw away uh, what you have worn earlier. So that's why the need of the PPEs 
it's not only a one-time basis, but it's a prolonged need. The COVID-19 is so unique that it is spread through aerosolized droplets. So right. whenever we want to test, you know, people talking about doing sampling or doing screening for COVID-19, mm -hmm. we will touch the inner surface of the nose throughout back at the back of the nose. So can you imagine if you put something in your nose, you will feel, you know, you want to sneeze or maybe you want to, uh, to cough at least. Mm. So every time they do this, the patient or the suspected patient will start to sneeze. And if they sneeze with the virus, then for sure, if you're not wearing PPE, proper, proper PPEs, you will get infected. So that's why those who are in the front line of the healthcare they need to wear full PPE for this kind of crisis. And how do you think the government is exactly ensuring that the safety of healthcare professionals is protected and maintained, given that there is a chronic shortages of PPEs, not just in this country, but all around the world? I think the gov uh, our government has done a very good job. Uh, at first, of course, they are caught by surprise, but they are willing to receive help from the NGOs. That is, I think, the key uh, moment when I, we would say that our healthcare system is uh, coping well, because mm -hmm. they are not saying that they are okay, but they said, please donate if you want. So that's how the NGOs can work together with the hospital, because we, in the NGOs, we have a different role. We can do a faster procurement, we can do uh, more free in terms of what type of uh, suppliers that we can choose. Because if you understand how the government works, they need to have uh, uh, you know, a more details and prolonged process in terms of procurement of new things, uh, shipment and distribution. But the NGOs can help in terms of, we can do fast procurement because we, we pay cash, we can do fast distribution because we have a lot of volunteers to help. So you're saying that you're also doing this in collaboration with other nonprofits, organizations, and volunteers. How, like, you know, for someone that is in the nonprofit sector, how easy or difficult is it to work in tandem with all the other organizations in the ground, given that everyone is doing their part in contributing medical supplies, food supplies, anything essential to communities in need, and also to frontline workers? All of us have different roles in terms of responding to any kind of crisis. Uh, for example, uh, I can put uh, Fashion Valley and Vivi Yusuf, for example. They have connections with people with lots of money. So they use that to get their attention to donate. Mm. And we have another collaboration with MODA, Malaysian Official uh, Designers Association. These are all fashion designers. And they have the connection to get supplies to do or to uh, sew the PPEs. So we don't have, but we can distribute for them. So they uh, produce the PPEs and we distribute. Now, in terms of other kind of GLCs or company, even like banks, uh, corporate companies, uh, most of them want to help, but they don't know how. So 
most of the time they will approach us and then we will advise. And most of the time, uh, we will provide the platform on the ground to distribute and purchase. They usually will provide with the funding to make things happen. Hmm. Yeah, so it's really important that everyone, you know, works together for the same cause here, and which is exactly what we're seeing among so many NGOs, grassroots groups, that there is a realignment of what they believe in, whether they're doing it for different causes, but at the end of the day, it's actually for, you know, the good health care of the public as well that they're trying to ensure. So when it comes to the healthcare, when it comes to, you mentioned detecting, screening, and testing COVID-19 positive cases, to what extent is Malaysia effective so far in curbing the spread of the pandemic? And do you think that this will actually keep up in the near future to, you know, once and for all end this crisis? All, uh, in all district in Malaysia, we have our district health office. So district health office is the uh, command center for any kind of health-related crisis or health-related, mm-hmm. you know, problem or issues. Um, in terms of uh, containing the COVID-19 or fighting the COVID-19, um, what we do the best is actually coordinating the zones according to the district and later on according to the states. So, for example, now we can pinpoint where is the district that with high cases. So we put it in red zone or we call it a red zone. Mm-hmm. And then we have a yellow zone and green zone. So by doing this, the public will know that where is the places that they need to avoid after the PKP or the MCO has ended. Uh, where is the places where they can at least, you know, go to the groceries uh, uh, and do their own daily activities. So with this, I think moving forward, if all the health uh, authorities in each district can do their own zoning and can do their own containment within their own district and later on within the states that i think moving forward will have we will have a better chance or we'll have a very good chance to fight this and to end this crisis um, like i said to start with the baseline of our healthcare system in malaysia is already good enough in terms of the structure but what we need to do now is focusing on our effort in the designated area where there is a yellow zone or a red zone. And for us, the NGOs, this is how we can streamline our resources. We can uh, put more resources for the red zones and the yellow zone, for example. And for the green zone, we'll do less effort to them because we know that they are in a good hand. Mm -hmm. You know, when you say that the healthcare system is still pretty sufficient and it's enough to help, you know, the initial number of cases that were rolling in. I also want to bring your attention to, you know, the last two months, there have been lots of xenophobic and obviously a little racist rhetoric against migrants and refugees, especially since I'm sure you know, since the Tablig gathering that happened in Sri Pataling. So people have been going off the tangent online, um, talking about Rohingya refugees. And over the last two weeks, there have been raids in foreign worker enclaves where authorities have actually detained many migrants in fear of infection clusters. So, you know, when you say that 
it's important that everybody gets the right to testing. You know, it is everyone's right. We all have to make sure that each and every one of us are cleared of this, you know, very deadly virus. But if these moves and actions by the government, they continue and we still see this sentiment growing. In your view, will this discourage foreign nationals and migrants to step forward for testing? And how will this endanger Malaysia? Um, this is very uh, emotional issues for me myself. Uh, hmm. And of course, in Emirate, because uh, from the first week of the MCO, or maybe the first day of MCO, uh, Imarit is one of the NGOs, uh, medical-related NGOs, that have been called by the Ministry of Health to help them um, containing or controlling the spreading of COVID-19 towards the Rohingya and the re refugees in Malaysia. Because not many NGOs are handling or doing uh, projects with the refugees uh, before the crisis. So they know that they need the NGOs' help to at least educate the uh, refugees. And for Imarit, particularly, we are handling a lot of Rohingyas project before this. So, uh, like I said, it's a very emotional issue when all this uh, hate speech and also you know, xenophobic uh, issues present have been happening in the past few weeks or months. Um, now, uh, at the moment, during the epidemic in Malaysia, all will get the right to get screened and to get sampling. Uh, the Minister of Health will screen everyone in that designated area, for example, if these refugees or uh, migrants are suspected to be in close contact, they will do the screening on them. Uh, in the uh, enhanced MCO area, for example, in Selayang or in uh, um, Masjid India before this, mm -hmm. uh, everyone will get screened, regardless of their status, regardless of their documentations. Now, what happened after that is actually beyond the Ministry of Health Control. Uh, we have heard news that uh, after the end of the EMCO, some of these um, communities have been raided and detained. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can assure you, uh, these are not involving registered refugees. Uh, these are involving actually the uh, workers or workers without permit or workers without uh, proper documentations. So, uh, they do this because they already know during the screening process these people exist in this area. So once the Minister of Health personnel move out from that area, the security personnel come in to do their work or to do their job. So in terms of in the future, I'm sure this will be a challenge for the Minister of Health and of course for the NGOs that handling handling the uh, refugees because this will put a stigma that if I go to screen myself, they will know that I'm here and mm. they will do something about me after this. <clears throat> so I hope uh, the authorities are thinking about this. Uh, but uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, I'm sure that they are not uh, being uh, push away from screening and sampling process because whatever happened, that will be that will come first. 
they will screen and make sure no positive cases first before they close down the EMCO. And on the part of, you know, the Malaysian society itself, you see that there is quite a lot of conflicted statements about these foreign communities. And it's a lot. It's actually come to the forefront more often than not in this time, in this public health crisis that, you know, foreign migrants and nationals, be they undocumented or not, are have been have been at times been blamed for the pandemic you know whether it's taking away local jobs amid already of you know an economic recession in Malaysia and while we understand that you know legally speaking they may not have quote unquote a place in this country why do you think it's still important for us to make sure to you know do away with this for now and just see people in their you know just one on one ways that saying that okay we still need to make sure that we're all healthy and safe in this time we cannot deport or detain them because conditions could get worse for those people. And I'm sure you're aware of the conditions in detention facilities and prisons as well. So the more you cram them up, um, the more likely would there be chances of a spread of a virus. What do you think of that? Um, I agree with you in terms of, you know, at this crisis, we can't really uh, say that one particular community uh, is the cause of this. Because, you know, it is not the time for that. But I think, from my personal opinion, the MCOs uh, indirectly has made people have more time to do things on screen. You know, they think about all these bad things, why it had happened, because there's nothing else to do. Um, That's a good point. Yes, I I believe so. Uh, That's why if you look in the social media, uh, very, very minimal NGOs that has come out with a response to defend the refugees or defend the migrants because all the NGOs are very busy doing things. All this issue will come down after this. Once people start working, once people start go to school, go to work, all this will pass. Of course, it's a very sad time at the moment that people say a lot of bad things about this, uh, about the Rohingya, about the migrants. Uh, They are not, you know, chase them away from Malaysia. They are cause of this. No, this will pass. And I believe if we be patient at the moment, uh, things will go back normally after this, hopefully. Uh, But I agree with you that the fault is not... You know, the blaming games is hmm. not, is not, this is not the time for this. Because if you have one person, regardless of the background or the race or the uh, nationalities, if they are infected, they are still human beings. And we still res- need to be responsible to make everyone healthy. What would it take for all of us to see an end to this health crisis? What should be, as in, what is the responsibility of each Malaysian citizen right here and right now to sure that to show that we have collective solidarity to end this crisis? Like, what are some practical steps? First, we need to get to use with the new norm. Um, avoid crowded places, not only during this MCO period. You know, once mm. you end the MCO period, we need to continue having all this, you know, high hygiene awareness, uh, 
go to less crowded people, do more online meeting than face-to-face -face meeting, uh, less uh, visits to uh, crowded area. So all this need to be instilled in all of us, all of the citizen or all of uh, human being in Malaysia in order for us to you know, fight this and solve this crisis in the long run. So it's not all about following the orders of the MCO. We need to be clean. We need to be responsible in the long run for this to end totally. I think that was a really good bottom line message for everyone out there. But I just want to, so everyone can actually follow your work. Where can we find Imaret's fundraising platforms and how can they contribute? Uh, we are actively updating our activities and uh, all our fundraising platform in our social media. So you can follow our Facebook, uh, Imam Respond and Relief Team. Or you can also follow our uh, Instagram, Imam underscore mine. Imam, uh, sorry, Imaret underscore MY. Imaret underscore MY for more updates uh, and follow our social media platform. All right. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was very enlightening. And I know that a lot of people need to hear this more than I do. Yes. Thank you very much for, you know, for reaching out to us.